Well, um, my notes here tell me that I'm supposed to start out with a joke about baptism, but um, I feel led instead to take a moment to pray for Israel uh, and the situation there. So would you, uh, would you join me as we pray? God, we come to you this morning thankful for a beautiful day, the weather, the safety uh, of meeting in this place without concerns about violence or war or conflict, uh, to be able to sing these songs to you with our heart and, and just lift you up and know that you are worthy of our praise. And we know that while we're here in safety and security, that the people of Israel, the place where you chose for your son to be born, the place where your son went to the cross to die for our sins, finds itself in conflict and violence with senseless debts, and we hurt for them. And we know you must hurt too. So we pray because the scripture tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for peace in Israel and the Middle East. We pray for the violence to end. We pray for the innocent to be protected from violence and from the senseless loss of life. We pray for those who've already lost loved ones to be comforted, for somehow there to be a witness of Jesus to them in the midst of their grief. Father, we bring justice and bring peace like only you can. We know your perfect justice and peace will be established when Jesus returns. So we pray, come soon, Lord Jesus. We're ready for you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're talking about baptism today, and uh, there are a lot of misunderstandings about baptism and what it means, what it accomplishes, who should be baptized, who has the authority to do so. And so... As we continue in the series that we've called We Believe, we're exploring uh, basic Christian doctrines and those that are particularly uh, dear to us as Baptists. And I've said it before, I'm gonna say it again, we have some books at the entrance in the foyer and in the hallway that talk more about these doctrines. You're free to grab one of these. They are free. They've been provided by the generosity of one of our church members. So. Uh, I encourage you to do that if you want to find out more about these doctrines. For now, I want to invite you to go to our primary text, which is found in, in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, where the Bible says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I love this passage because it is rich with symbolism. Uh, it is rich in communicating the truth about baptism. And so I, as we look at it, we. We are reminded of what we experience at baptism, if you've already been baptized. But in a way, we're also encouraged to stay the course. 
But when I think about this symbolism and about staying the course, I remember something that was very impactful to me as a child growing up. My parents uh, got us a copy of a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure it was the children's version because he had pictures, uh, but it was a really cool story. It was written by John Bunyan from prison in the year 1678, uh, and it is the story of a man, the, the main character of the story, his name is Christian. And he is making a journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And in that journey, he encounters dangers and distractions and temptations, and, uh, and the point is that he should stay the course to make it to the celestial city, that, that, that he should stay focused on that without uh, getting off the, the right track. And as a child, those pictures and those images really impressed me and form much of my theology as a little boy. And so I, I hope, church, that you know how important it is that we stay focused on our destination. I hope that you know that the gospel reminds us not only of where we've been and where we came from, but it reminds us where we are bound. And that we need to keep our eyes there. We need to keep our focus on our destination. We are on our journey to the celestial city as well. So let me talk about baptism for a minute, then I'm gonna talk about other things. I hope you brought your snacks. Baptism illustrates a spiritual reality. Baptism illustrates a spiritual reality. Water baptism, as we see it here often, uh, points to a spiritual baptism. Water baptism is an outward celebration of an inward miracle. The mystery of salvation is profound and rich and uh, and. And sometimes even words cannot fully describe it, but in this simple yet beautiful act of baptism, we communicate that. And this text that we just read today tells us that there are three aspects to this one reality. The first one is that baptism speaks to our immersion of our life in Christ. Water baptism talks about our being immersed in Christ. When someone is baptized, they're announcing that they have been baptized into Christ. I remember a song a couple of decades ago by Stephen Curtis Chapman called Diving Dive. It was the name of the song. And the chorus said something like this, I'm diving in, I'm going deep in over my head. I wanna be caught in the rush, lost in the flow. In over my head, I wanna go. The river's deep. The river's wide, the river's water is alive, so sink or swim, I'm diving in, I'm diving in, I'm diving in. At baptism, we are proclaiming that we've taken a dive into the ocean of grace where there is forgiveness and power and transformation, the power of Christ. Water baptism does not save, but it announces that we have been saved. That's why baptism is for believers only. We don't baptize people here with the hope that someday they will believe. We baptize people here because one day they did believe. It points back to what has already happened in them. If you haven't done so yet, I wanna encourage you, even plead with you, take the plunge. 
dive into Christ, immerge yourself in him, and then follow him in believer's baptism. Secondly, the scripture tells us here that baptism is about the bearing of the old life of sin. To be baptized into Christ is to be baptized into his death. To be baptized into Christ is to be baptized into his person and everything he did. And one of the things that he did is he died. He died on the cross for our sins. And so when we get baptized, we're identifying ourselves with his death. Baptism is a water grave where we can be buried. We bury the life of sin. We bury the, the sinful nature. We bury the old self so that we can make room for the new self. The fact that we have been baptized into Christ's death does not mean that we will never sin again. That's not what it means. You know, we bury the sinful nature at baptism, but the sinful nature is like the walking dead. It keeps on getting up. And we need to bury it every day. We need to put it down every day. One day, one day it'll be put down forever. But until then, we bury it. Following Jesus is a commitment to die to sin. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that when you come to the waters of baptism that you've reached a level of spirituality or holiness that, that is worthy of baptism. You don't wait until you're sinless to get baptized or you're never gonna get baptized. You get baptized because you made a commitment to die to sin by the power of Christ. I encourage you to make a commitment to leave sin behind, the, the sin that hurts you and that keeps you from becoming everything that God made you to be. And then follow Christ and see what he will do in your life. Which leads us to this third reality or this third aspect of the same reality, the resurrection into a new life in the spirit. Baptism represents a grave, but the good news is that Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. And so we identify with his death in baptism, but we also identify with his resurrection. Baptism is a testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. And it announces to others that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us, transforming us and making us a new person. And that's why I believe that immersion is the best mode of baptism. With all due respect, I don't think sprinkling somebody or pouring a little bit of water on somebody's forehead communicates this powerful idea of being buried to sin like Christ was buried and died and being risen to a new life like Jesus was resurrected. Baptism literally means immersion. When we surrender our life to Jesus, he gave us a new birth. A new birth is the beginning of, of a new life that can happen every day. And, and we see that happening in the lives of people. I have been so encouraged and humbled by many of the comments that you've been making to me uh, in the last few days. Um, but one of the things that, that really brings joy to my heart on Sunday mornings is every Sunday morning when I get here a little before nine o'clock, I park over there far away and I, I'm walking and there's this guy that meets me. His name is Raul Torres. And Raul always comes and shakes my hand with a firm grip. And, and he's sitting right here in the middle, by the way. I'm sorry, Raul, I didn't tell you I was gonna talk about you. Uh, he, he, he grabs my hand and he says to me, thank you, thank you. He says, because I remember the day when I first came to this church, when I was invited to this church, I remember the day when I came and how I heard the gospel. 
and I gave my life to Jesus. And then I had the, the opportunity, the privilege to baptize Raul, and not much later, we had the opportunity to baptize his daughters. And you know that every Sunday, he tells me how he remembers that day. Every Sunday, he tells, and it fills my heart with joy because after several years of his baptism, Raul is still excited about Jesus because he's still living in the newness of life, and so should you and me. Every time that we think of baptism, we are reminded of the newness of life that Christ has brought. You only need to be baptized as a believer once, but every day you can immerse yourself in Christ. Every day you can dive into the ocean of his spirit and experience all that God has for you on that day. It is his daily immersion in Christ that allows us to stay the course as individual Christians, to, to remember that we're bound to the celestial city. We're marching on to Zion. And it is our immersion in Christ that keeps us focused. It is the newness in the life of the Spirit that keeps us on track, not just as individuals, but as a church. As a church. Which leads me to the second thing about baptism I want to say, that baptism also identifies us with a spiritual family. The scripture tells us that baptism is about emerging our lives in Christ, and it is. But it's also about identifying with his church. Acts 2.41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That was the very first baptismal service of the church. And it says that when they were baptized, they were added to the church. They were baptized into the church. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says, for we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. At the macro level, when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ, but you're also baptized into this spiritual family, this universal spiritual family of every person who makes Jesus their Lord. In any part of the world, at any point in history, it's an invisible family that we sometimes call the communion of the saints, the fellowship of the saints. But at the local level, you identify yourself with a local church, a church where, that's visible, where, where you know people, where, where you recognize faces and hopefully remember some names. A local church you, you identify with. And as I prepare to step away from from my role here at Calvary, I, I, I want to reflect on, on some things that make this a wonderful church. I want to encourage you to stay the course, to keep your eyes focused on your destination. And I want to mention seven characteristics of this church that you've been baptized into, that you have identified with. The first thing is that you are a healthy congregation. Calvary is a, it's a vibrant, exciting congregation. People are excited. You come on a Sunday, you come on a Wednesday, you come sometimes during the week and you see all this that's happening here. We have children and we have students. We have college students. We, we have young adults. We have couples. We have, we have senior adults. That's exciting. Not all churches have all that, but we do. And we're thankful for it. Two Sundays ago, we broke the 1,000 mark in attendance in our worship services. It was a Sunday that I wasn't here. I don't know what that means. 
We usually don't break a thousand unless it's Easter or Christmas Eve, but I'm thankful. Pastor David Chan tells me that this year we're averaging about 90 people more than we were last year in worship. Not only have we returned to our pre-pandemic attendance, but we've surpassed it. Good things are happening here at Calvary. Uh, last Sunday, we had a very high offering, $81,000. You gave $81,000. The Sunday I resigned. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> but I just know that you are generous and that you have the ability not only to meet budget, but to exceed budget. This weekend, we had an incredible conference called Sacred Friday and Saturday. Pastor Paula will tell you more about that. But I just want to say, this is a healthy congregation. Secondly, this is a missional people. I don't have to tell you that. We talk about that all the time. But every week, Calvary is on mission somewhere. This week, we have Jose Luis Jimenez and Ronald Sanchez. They are overseas. They're visiting two of our families that are serving as missionaries, one in Spain and the other one in India. And they're going to those places to encourage them and to talk about how we can continue to partner. But here in our city, we have people who are serving Bread of Life, who are, uh, who are serving international students, who are sharing their faith with people uh, next door or, or, or just having conversations, inviting people. Every week there is somebody here at Calvary that is on mission with God. We have had this phrase that we've used at Calvary, and, and I hope we continue to use it, it goes like this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. We believe that and we practice it. And, and I would encourage you not to, not to stray from that. Let me, let me just mention a couple of things about that. Calvary is a church that is united around the essentials. The reason that we're calling, that we have in this series, we believe, is to remind ourselves of what the essentials are. That, that we are united around what is, what is central the person of Christ, God as one God, creator. And he is in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's sinless, that he went to the cross to die for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead, and that he ascended to heaven, and he's king and lords, and one day, he will return. That's what we believe, that's what unites us. The lordship of Christ, the inspiration and authority and sufficiency of scripture, that's an essential. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, that's an essential. We agree on that. We unite around that. That's what makes us conservative Christians. That's what makes us historical Baptists. That's what makes us Calvary McAllen. Now, it may surprise you, but my wife and I don't agree on everything. We, we have things that we disagree about, but you know what? We're one because God made us one. And we are united in our commitment to each other because we love each other. We are united in our commitment to build our marriage and our family on Christ. That's what we've done. Marriage is a perfect example of how unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. You don't have to agree on everything to be one. And that leads me to the next thing, that Calvary is a church where there is freedom about non-essentials. Thank God that we have freedom in Christ with some legalists and, and we're trying to impose their beliefs and their rules on the church in Galatia. Paul reminded them of their freedom, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Paul championed freedom when he came to non-essentials. In our church, uh, people, there are people who, who believe that um, in the end times, there's going to be a great tribulation and that in the middle of that tribulation, Jesus is going to rapture or catch the church in the air. And then after three and a half years, he and his church are going to come back and they're going to establish a 1,000-year reign here on earth. There are other people in our church that believe that, that uh, the rapture and the second coming of Christ are, are one and the same event. And that the, the order of events will be different from those who are a dispensational premillennialist. I know those are big words. Don't worry about them. But here's, here's the thing. The one thing that matters is that Jesus is coming back. And if you believe that, there is freedom for believing or interpreting prophecy in different ways as long as you go to the scriptures. It's not a test of fellowship here at Calvary. It is not an issue of salvation. There are people here at Calvary, maybe not a lot of them, but there are some of them, who believe that uh, in God's sovereignty, he has predestined some people to be saved. And that those people that he has predestined for salvation cannot resist salvation. They're going to be saved one way or another. And they, they believe that's the way the sovereignty and grace works out. And there are other people who believe that, that God wants everybody to come to salvation and that what he has provided is the death of Jesus on the cross and he has given people a free will. And so they can accept or reject God's plan of salvation. And the one important thing in all of that is that you believe that only Christ can save. And that is his death on the cross that redeems us. And there is freedom here at Calvary to have differences of interpretation when it comes to the doctrine of grace. It's not a test of fellowship here. It is not uh, necessary for you to agree on that to be a child of God. There are people here at Calvary that believe that women can serve in different kinds of ministries, but that they cannot be lead pastors. And they focus on particular verses that are given by, by Paul, uh, and, and they believe that with conviction. There are other people that believe that God has in history, so in the Old Testament and New Testament, has called women and gifted women and used women in leadership roles and and that he can use them in whatever roles he wants to use them in the church, and that some of the things that Paul wrote were specific for a specific context and city and church. Well, let me tell you, as long as you believe in the priesthood of all believers, that God has called every believer to serve him and to represent him, we can have differences of how we interpret the scriptures. There is freedom here at Calvary. That's not a test of fellowship. It is not an issue of salvation. And I can go on and on about the things that we are free to disagree on. But I want to lead you, I want to point you to a principle in Scripture that tells us how we deal with our personal convictions about these things. It's what I call non-essentials. Romans 14, verse 13. Paul says to the Romans, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Verse 14, I'm convinced 
being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. In other words, it's a matter of personal conviction. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So here's the thing. In our freedom, it is important to make peace and mutual edification a priority. The unity of the body of Christ is more important than your personal preferences. It is more important to build one another up than to get our way. I would paraphrase verse 19 like this. Don't be petty. Focus on the big picture. We are one in Christ. Don't let the little stuff divide us. Which leads us to the fifth characteristic here at Calvary. That you are a church loving in all things. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. We must always, always, always prioritize loving each other. Jesus gave us a new commandment. And the new commandment is that we would love one another. That we would love one another. And that means that we love one another even when we disagree with each other. That means that we love one another even when we don't like each other. God didn't, God didn't call you to like everybody, but he did call you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and to love everyone, to love the church and to love those that are not in the church yet. And just to be clear, to love doesn't mean to be soft on sin. Loving one another means that we value each other as people with dignity made in the image of God, that we value people above our preferences, above our traditions, and even our convictions. I'll give you an example. Some people ask, well, what is Calvary's stance when it comes to the LGBTQ issue? And I would tell you it is the same as what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, Paul says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, or, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Bible tells us that the people that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we cannot condone what God has said does not belong in his kingdom. We cannot condone sexual immorality, we cannot condone idolatry, we cannot condone adultery or homosexual behavior or theft or greed, or, or drunkenness, or slandering, or swindling. We, we can't condone those things. But yet Paul tells the Corinthians, you, you were that before. But in God's love, he rescued you, he forgave you, he transformed you. That's what you used to be, but you're not that anymore. And here's our reminder that there are people out there that still need the love of God to transform them. So what do we do? We love them. We are called to love people who struggle with any of these sins so that they can come and experience the forgiveness, the healing, and the transformation that Christ died to give them. Loving sinners does not make us soft on sin. It just communicates 
that we believe in the power of Christ to redeem, to change, to transform, and to make people what God means for them to be. I'm so thankful that you are such a church. You are a loving church. You welcome people, you pray for people, and this church provides a safe place for people to be broken and to know they're accepted. We sing a song, we used to sing a song many years ago called Just As I Am, and people can come just as they are. But you know what the good news about the love of God is he doesn't leave you just the way you were. He transforms you, he lifts you up to a new dimension. And then the sixth characteristic I want to share with you today is how you, Calvary, care for pastors. It's a moment of personal privilege for me. I want to tell you, you have been a church that has been encouraging to me uh, in word, in action, in prayer, in, in deeds that you've done. You've encouraged me and my family, and, and we are so thankful to you for that. I know that in the last couple of years, there have been a couple of staff pastors that have been called away. Sometimes when that happens, people say, so-and-so left, and so-and-so left, and so-and-so is leaving. What's going on? I want to tell you that when God called people here, he called them from somewhere else. And sometimes God calls people from here to another place. But, but that doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It just means that God is at work. If we're listening, then we'll see him. And also, I want to tell you that Calvary has a very good record of long-tenure pastors. I think you need to hear that. Calvary is 66 years old. And in those 66 years, Calvary has had primarily five lead pastors. Jimmy Heflin was here for 10 years, and his son is still here, David Heflin. Uh, George Layton was here 20 years, and his daughter's still here, Pam Thompson, back there. Gary Singleton was, was here for 10 years. And Alice Orozco was here 10 years. And yours truly, I've been here 13 years. And I just want to tell you, that doesn't happen in every church. Some churches can't keep their pastors more than two, three years. And while I want to give credit to those, the legacy of those that came before me, because they were incredible men and servants of God, I also want to give credit to you. Because when a pastor stays a long time in a church, he says something about that church. So thank you for being a church that cares well for your pastors. In addition to prayer and encouragement and other demonstrations of love, you have provided well for us financially. Paul writes to Timothy about this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. He says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. You know, I grew up in a pastor's home, and, and back then, my dad's views and maybe the church's views were a little different. I don't know that they really understood what this passage means with double honor and, and the, work, the, the labor is worthy of his wages. But I remember uh, that my cousins and my friends Families drove really nice cars, and, and we had an old, old car, and I asked my dad, why don't we have a car like them? And my dad said, we can't because I'm a pastor, and what is the church going to think? And then I would see my cousins and my friends get to do other things and go to certain places on vacation, and I would say, dad, why don't we do that? And my dad said, we can't because I'm a pastor. 
And, and as a child growing up, I thought, I guess being a pastor means you have to be poor. Now, I'm thankful for what my parents provided growing up. I'm not complaining. God was faithful, and I always had what I need. And the church loved us, and I loved the church. But, but this idea that somehow the pastor is supposed to take a vow of poverty, I don't think is necessarily scriptural. And I'm thankful that you as a church have taken good care of our family. My children, thank you. Our families, thank you for doing so. And I encourage you to continue to do so in the days ahead with the pastors that stay here, with the pastors that you will call, that you will care well for them. And then seventh and final. Another loving characteristic of this church is gifted in membership. Calvary is a church that has incredible members, members who love the Lord, members who are generous, members who use their gifting and their talent, members who are leaders in our church. We have members in our church that, that we just cannot brag enough about. And you are the church. The members make up the church, and I am so thankful that I've been able to be a part of what God is doing in this church, and I want to encourage you to stay the course. Remember your destination. Stay focused. Don't get distracted. Don't let the little stuff divide you. Baptism illustrates the spiritual reality that we are immersed in Christ, and it also identifies us with a spiritual family. And this spiritual family called Calvary is a good, great, excellent family. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I want to thank you today for your word. I want to thank you for baptism and all that it means to us. I want to thank you, Father, for what it proclaims, what it symbolizes. And Father, I pray that you would be with us here as we respond. There are people here that maybe need to be immersed in Christ for the first time. Make him Savior and Lord. There are some who need to follow you in believers' baptism. Others maybe today is the day they'll join Calvary and identify with this wonderful congregation. Others maybe they just need to make a commitment to, to continue to serve, to stay focused, to, to be singled out in their commitment to the destination. Father, I pray that your spirit be at work among us even now to allow us to respond to your word. I want to encourage you to, to think about how you need to respond today. Maybe you need to dive into Christ, to take a step of faith and know him as Savior and Lord. You can do that right now. You can pray in your heart, ask him for forgiveness, and ask him to come into your life make you a new person, give you a new beginning, give you victory over sin. Maybe you need to take a step and follow the Lord and believers' baptism, and that's your commitment today. Maybe God has been leading you to join Calvary, and today's the day that you want to take that step. Whatever God has spoken to you today, would you respond in faith to him? Would you say yes to him? As you do that, I'm going to ask people who are willing 
to pray for others to come to the front. So I wanna give you an opportunity if you're making a commitment, if you have a need, if you have a burden, I wanna give you an opportunity to come to the front and have someone pray over you. Or if you prefer to get on your knees and pray up here, then you can do that. But this is the time to respond to God's voice. So you come, you come now. As the congregation stands, and as we respond in commitment and in prayer, we'll continue to worship. Let's stand together.